Hey everyone, welcome to the Respect the Math podcast brought to you by Reliable Tech Help. For all your IT needs, call Reliable Tech Help at 502-797-7399 or visit our website at reliabletechhelp.com. That's reliabletechtekhelp.com. I'm your host, Digital David Snyder. Here at the Respect the Math podcast, we talk about everything from technology to business, science, popular culture, and more. Basically, the things that I'm interested in because I'm kind of selfish that way. You can find us on Facebook, YouTube, and podcast apps from Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, Pandora, iHeart, and others. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, please comment, please share. We'd love for you to interact with us. Find us online and do that, please. Today, our guest is Justin Ziegert. He's a new team member with Reliable Tech Help. He has a background in project management and all things IT and digital consulting. Welcome. Hi. Thank you for being here, Justin. Absolutely. Tell us about your background and uh, uh, what what kind of made you think about shifting to a different uh, way of doing business in the IT consulting space. Sure. So I had uh, experience um, mostly in corporate to, you know, large to medium size organizations, but most of my experience was um, mostly self-taught. I was very fortunate in that I had a lot of mentors. Um, So starting this, I I, want to give thanks to everyone that has helped me throughout this journey because that's kind of what it is. And um, really, uh, those are the people that will never want credit, nor will they ever desire to get credit for things. And it's like, that's why I feel the thanks is even more important. Okay. And how long have you been doing it? So my passion for technology began when I was a kid. I built my first computer mid nineties, uh, got on the early BBS systems. Um, yeah, I remember those. Yeah. Ansi and, graphics. And- yep. Yep. What was our baud rate at that point? Twenty six something. Ninety six. I remember I got a, a, a twenty eight eight, and I was like, yeah. "I'll never need anything faster." And then fifty six k with the V two. Sure. Ding. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I was like, "Oh, I've got two of these. I'll never need anything faster." Sounds like a drunk fax machine, when right? You're connecting, huh? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like it doesn't know where the digital signal begins and the analog ends. Yeah. yeah. So give us some uh, some context there. Roughly twenty years ago, or yeah. So it was about twenty years. Um, essentially, what I so it's kind of interesting. I've kind of gone full circle in that. I started, I noticed that uh, the home user market in general, just people that were home users could not get service for decent rates at all. And this mm-hmm. was back to early 2000s. So I just started by word of mouth referrals, finding people that needed stuff done. And I, I just knew how to do it. I'd been helping people with um, essentially tech my entire life. I was teaching um, like different teachers in school how to do things um, just because for some reason, like there was a stigma and they didn't like to feel vulnerable, but if I was a kid showing them, they would let down their guard and actually learn some stuff. So it okay. started at a very young age, yeah. So for as long as you can remember, you've been tinkering and configuring and setting up? I was, and- uh, you know, um, many thanks to my parents because I probably drove them nuts with all the things that I, you know, sort of um, dismantled and, like, learned how to, like, th- there was one rule, though, and it was a really great rule, and it's that, if you take something apart, you need to know how to put it back together and it work. Mm-hmm. That was, that was, that what, was the rule they said for you? Yeah. I like yeah. that. Can, yeah. Kind of give you some guardrails to oh, keep yeah. it. Yeah. Well, and that was the thing is like I would look at something and be like, okay, I know I could take this apart, but can I put it back together? Yeah. So, and that, that spark kind of got me into 
uh, essentially building my first complete PC when I was about eight. Wow. Um, my parents uh, were very, like, I was very fortunate. They helped me source the parts. Yeah. We did, uh, it's kind of like a zombie build. Like, this is back sure. when, like, compact. Frankenstein and, computer. Yeah, it was yeah. like taking a power supply from a compact and then, you know, yeah. finding a Mac piece that probably would never work in anything else. If but. you can remember them, give us, give us some details. Were we processing in megahertz at that point? Or oh, was wow. Kilohertz so, or? The, my first build, I think, was like a 386. Okay. And, and that would have been megahertz, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. 486. And I, I remember um, it was like 266, the AMDs with the tricore. That's the, a blast from the past. Or, sorry, there was the, the that was a, some kind of overclock gate that. Did we have kilobits of RAM at that point? or I don't know if we had kilobits or, or makes yet, but I, I remember that I had a, a someone I knew had a one gig like hard drive. Oh, and, and that, that was, was like deal. unheard of. Absolutely. That was like. That was like that yeah. person was set for life. And as now we, we look at a gig and it's like, you know, that's one, you yeah. know, a couple seconds of audio in some cases. That's a fraction of the storage on our phone. Oh, yeah. 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 Which yeah. is really a super supercomputer sitting in our pocket. Which is, and, and me thinking about back then is like, I w- always wanted something like that. Now it's like, it's uh, it's a whole other um, we, sort of can of worms. We take know? it for granted every day. We oh, use 100%. it. We get mad at Siri when she doesn't answer us in, in like half a second. Or if the map doesn't refresh right away, then yeah, you pass the turn. Right? Yeah, it's not yeah. instant. Then like people forget that we used to like go to MapQuest and get directions and print them out and then yeah. you know have your person like you had to have a co-pilot back then. Yeah. Like on like doing all kinds of road trips. So yeah, so that kind of covers your background when you were a teenager. I'm assuming you uh, went mm-hmm. to University of Louisville like I did. Yep. Yeah, and tell us about your educational uh, experience and your credentials there. Sure. So I I was one of uh, I joined a program. It was a um, FBI NSA um, compliant um, computer information security. Wow. Um, in the wake of like um, you know everything that had happened in the early two thousands, uh, yeah. DHS and a, a few other groups had set up these programs where you would learn like advanced cryptography you would was learn through the university yeah the yeah. business school or the engineering so school? it was fortunately it was through the business school okay uh, which was very rare um yeah. i was not expecting that um i was actually going to go for um uh essentially either some kind of possibly like cs degree or something like that computer but, engineering computer science yeah right? but but when i really thought about it and i really put it through my head and i was like okay a company are they like I could be super specialized and, and get that degree, but am I going to be useful to an actual organization when I get out? And yeah. I saw friends that were getting out with six-year degrees and they couldn't find jobs because they were overqualified. And I've heard that the technology is evolving so fast. It's an exponential climb. Mm-hmm. And you, you could spend four years of college specializing in something really good. And by the time you get your degree, it's obsolete. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like that. So you need, a, you need a more broad education. And thankfully, you got that, right? Well, exactly. And and really, you know, this is the advice to give to anyone. If, you know, don't let anyone uh, try to convince you that you can't understand tech or, or work in tech. And, you know, the college degree is not what helped me work in tech. It was getting on the ground experience, like seeing what can go wrong and how it can go wrong. So you ended up with, I'm assuming, a CIS degree from the business mm-hmm. school at UofL? Yeah. And so talk about the um, business aspect of that. I'm sure you took yeah. micro and macroeconomics mm-hmm. and some accounting courses and stuff like that. Talk about how that complemented the technical side of learning CIS uh, and, and brought you where you are, you know, to where you are today. 100%. So great example is when I was doing cross-functional teams and bringing together like finance, sales, and accounting, I could speak their language because I knew, like, I, again, it was older knowledge, but because you're right, by the time you get out, the knowledge is already gone. But at least it doesn't move as fast in the accounting and finance world. As yeah, it like to, yeah. the accounting, FIFO, and LIFO, those are oh, yeah. going to be the same ordering. First in, first out. And yeah. Was yeah. it GAP generally accepted? Yeah, generally. Something, yeah. yeah, yeah, and then um, all, all that fun, and, and 
you know, to all the CPAs out there, I don't know how you do it, but God yeah. bless you. Thank God you're there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that made you very well-rounded. Um, that kind of yeah. that kind of dovetails into your professional experience. You're not just an IT guy in the weeds dealing with all the uh, technical ins and outs of IT stuff. You're also managing projects. You're leading people, correct? Mm-hmm. You're um, uh, on the, uh, we'll just talk about it, the project management and sure. the people interaction side. So. Essentially, I I was very fortunate, and the business school had a program. Specifically, they had a, a different path that was for project managers. And I had an amazing teacher, and I was taught you know, all the basics of project management. Now, I was very much an unofficial project manager. It was that no one would usually stand up to say, okay, I'm going to be the technical <laughs> lead, and I'm going to manage the project, because somehow I think that that's sane. Yeah. You know? In hindsight, now I'm like, Probably should have had a project manager for that, but did you get volunteered or pretty much? Okay. Well, and and really, what it was is, um, you know, I would go into like various places, start out at like a, you know, just like networking or something like that, and I would learn everything that they had, study up on it, and once I would go through that, then I would just, you know, I would see all kinds of things that I could fix, and so I would just, you know, work with management, and essentially, the, the what it would be is so. Um, I think the, the easiest example of the kind of projects I'd work on is there'd be a building. So there's like a merger and acquisition or something like that, right? Or mm-hmm. some company buys another company. I'd be the person that they would send in to be friendly, obviously, go in there <laughs> and, you know, they're not talking hostile takeovers or anything like that. Right. Um, but go in there, um, see what their needs are, see what is their current setup, and make recommendations, but also inform all stakeholders. Meaning, like, when I went on these sites, that was my family. Like, we were, like, I was going there to find, you know, and relate to new members of that family and very much involving. I I always realized like early on when you involve the people that it's going to affect directly in the decision-making process, it it gets much better. And when you take the time to care enough to meet with these people from different backgrounds and serve or or, and who serve different uh, roles in the company Mm -hmm. to learn to meet them where they're at, understand them, relate to them and say, Hey, we're making some changes. Let me reassure you, this is going to be good for everyone. Exactly. And I'm very impressed with that because you obviously have a technical mind. Yeah. And what we found in our space is it's very unusual to find some, someone who's gifted technically and can also talk to people. And that's a oh, big yeah. deal. I tell folks when they come, we've had some interns work with them, like, look, I can teach you a lot of tech stuff. That's not a big deal. But learning exactly. how to talk to people, I can model that for you. But you either have to have a little bit of ability in that to begin with, mm-hmm. or you, you have to be very willing to learn. And it, it, it takes 100%. time. Yeah. And uh, that's one of the things, many things that were appealing to me about you as we got to know each yeah. other and brought you into the team is that you, you genuinely care about the people you're working with oh, yeah. and working for. And it's not just, Hey, look, I'm just a tech guy. Stay out of my way. Let me do my tech stuff. No, you're <laughs> going to connect with people. You're going to relate to them. You're going to collaborate. Oh, a hundred percent. And really for me, I, and I'm, you know, in hindsight, I really realized that it's relationships. Relationships are what matter. And mm-hmm. I should have identified that earlier on. And, you know, I always tell people, it's like, I'm not saying don't burn bridges. There are some situations that are very toxic and for your own, you know, sure. um, safety or for your own like mental health, you may need to distance yourself from stuff, Yeah. but you know, try not to build, you know, burn bridges, build roads. Yeah, I agree. You mentioned the word relationships. That was very mm-hmm. appealing to me. Um, I'll, bre- I'll paraphrase this and then you can expand on it. You mentioned to me that, look, I'm tired of being treated as a number by these large corporations. Mm. If I leave, they'll just find someone else to dump more work onto. And then they'll ask that person to squeeze the people underneath him. 
to get more productivity out of them, lay off this person, overwork that person, give people two or three jobs when they should be doing one kind of thing. And that really burns you out. And you lost that connection, that personal relationship. Look, you don't have to be best friends and hang out with everybody you work with, Mm. but you have to have a certain level of common ground that you can relate, relate to each other from. And they should be invested in your success and your happiness and vice versa. Can you talk about that? Because that's something we do here at a much smaller company on a, on oh, a smaller yeah. scale that I think was appealing to you. Well, and you, you, you kind of nailed it. See, for me, it's, um, you know, what made me enjoy the work that I was doing was the fact that I got to lead teams like that and see people grow personally, professionally and get to experience that. And really, you know, uh, it, it a lot of it is not just really related just to specifically project management, but definitely like you get into like areas like emotional, um, you know, knowing where people are. And, and because what you're hitting on is key is that for me, it's, you know, something that was really resonated with me is, you know, to meet people where they are, not necessarily where you think they should be or where you want them to be. And also um, interacting with people without any preconceived notions of what will be or expecting anything from them. Mm-hmm. and accepting them and yeah. I, I think that's key because when i look back on it like the relationships are the ones are the things that i still have from all that work yeah like working you know you know 60 to 80 hours a week and, and stuff like that i'll never get that time back those relationships though i still have yeah and i i like that sentiment there um we're a two-man show before you came on board so we're gonna be a three-man show very <laughs> very soon and i would hope david hastings the guy who works with us good friend of mine, um, privileged to know him as a person, but also to work with him. He's that rare example also of someone who's gifted technically, but can also talk to people. Oh, hundred percent. He's so good at making people feel calm when say, say that they've gotten uh, hit by, um, malware in the form of ransomware. Mm. He'll come in and calm them down and say, look, we can probably figure this out. If not, we might have to pay some small ransom or figure out a mm-hmm. way to decrypt your data. He's so good at connecting with and relating to people, and that's just very rare. And that's one of the several things I'm excited about working with you with is that you're able to do that. I would hope that David Hastings would say that even though we're doing business together and the majority of our interactions are business-related, we are friends. We don't go out and shoot pool or whatever, but uh, we hang out occasionally. But I would hope that he would say that me as the business owner, I as the business owner, uh, treated him as an asset, something to invest in mm. and not, not to take from, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's a very, like what you hit on is key is that when you become a number for like any sort of company, when you, when that happens, you know, you're losing a lot of things that you don't realize you're losing your agency, you're losing your voice, you're losing your happiness. And that, you know, really brings us to burnout, which is, you know, Burnout is so dangerous that I really do feel that, you know, companies should be not just like reactive on this. They need to be extremely, you know, trying to get ahead of it because I don't think I've, I've worked a job in any company that I did not see or experience burnout myself. And they don't realize that it's in their interest to prevent that. Correct. It's not just, oh, this is our employee. Let's take care of him. No, this is a symbiotic give and take relationship. Mm-hmm. If I invest in Justin, he's going to want to invest in me. After he invests in me, there's more that I have. I can invest in him and it goes back and forth, right? Exactly. We are. I don't say, I don't say that people work for me. I don't have employees. I have team members. Yeah. If, if you're working for me, that means I'm working for you. We're mm-hmm. both invested in each other's success. Um, you mentioned burnout. I want to talk about that because, like mm-hmm. you said, you haven't worked in that environment. 
where it either wasn't you getting burned out mm. or if it wasn't you, it was somebody you knew. And you've seen right. it firsthand over and over again and all the manifestations that can take. When you mentioned that, before we talked about it, um, alcoholism came to mind for me. Mm. It's like uh, we've all been there. Like you don't know exactly how many drinks it's going to take you to cross that line yeah. or you're going to have to make no plans for the next day <laughs> and sober up and all that. It's kind of like burnout, right? You don't realize it. Until, until you've already crossed that line oh, where you're already burned out, you're physically exhausted, emotionally, psychologically. You've probably formed a lot of resentment too, I would think, right? Well, and that's really one of the, the biggest things to, you know, you got to find some forgiveness for yourself. Like when you, when you really, like, because you just kind of hit it, by the time you're burnt out, you're already past the point of where you could have likely stopped it. And I'm, I'm not saying to not give people hope. What I'm saying is... yeah recognize the symptoms earlier and again some basic things to look for is you know frequently like if you're tired exhausted all the time um you've got demands that are made of you that are unrealistic for any human being and really what you were talking about earlier is you know are is your use of substances going up are you drinking more coffee are you drinking more liquor at night are you doing things like that and then looking at that and um it's whole you can kind of see like what's going on but it's key because you're right. Once you've gone to the point of burnout, you're already burnt out. And yeah. so from there, it's healing. And really, it, it involves a lot of self-care, um, self-reflection, and really just kind of burying all hatchets. Like, I think that's crucial. Um, yeah. That kind of mindset. Because when you get into the, oh, it's someone else, it's not me, that's a clever way to go into some forms of, like, you know, sort of, like, trying to... Um, act like it's not as big as it is. Um, yeah, to and minimize it and try to rationalize it. And, exactly. And and, yeah. and really that gets into another thing is that most of the burnout that I saw was the internalized um, failure that they that people felt, like mm. that I felt. So uh, just to give an example, um, you know, like if uh, there's a project that didn't go well and that one person's module of that project. And I, I would see them like, you know, they would beat themselves up more than anyone could ever, like, put them through because they cared. And so yeah. like, but that's the thing is when you notice people that are burnt out, it's because they care. Right. Interesting. You notice that. Yeah. Not too many sociopaths getting burned out, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> they're pretty right. good at taking care of themselves. <laughs> and uh, probably they're the ones probably burning, burning out the out. majority of the people who actually care, like you said. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and in that sense, um, you mentioned listen to your body. When you said that, it triggered the the, for, uh, the term biofeedback. Mm. What are some actual physiological, biological symptoms that you'll see? Will you see racing thoughts or anxiety? Mm -hmm. um, probably digestive issues, I would think, because oh, you're nervous and you're probably not. When, you, when you're in that burnout phase, you're probably not eating healthy. You're probably not working out. You're probably not sleeping well. Can you talk about that? Because your body will tell you pretty clearly, right? And, and and that's really what it gets to is that you'll, like, um, rebound insomnia is very, very, very common. So talk during about that. The, I haven't heard that term before. Sure. So when you when you go through, like, rebound insomnia, let's say, like, you were treated by a doctor with medication, and the medication worked, and you were able to sleep for a few days, but then you stop the medication, uh, the insomnia will come back even worse okay. than it was before. Because you haven't addressed what caused the insomnia i'm familiar with that phenomenon i've never heard it labeled rebound insomnia I learned yeah okay. well and, and the reason why i like that label is because it, it kind of says what it is it's you know it's the rebounding you've sure. all, you've only like put a bandage on it you haven't fixed what's what's causing that but you hit yeah. on um, some main things and that's that frequent you know being tired every once in a while is is something but 
problem with burnout is you're in a fight or flight mode because you've been put in that with the anxiety and the fear. And a lot of it comes down to fear-based reinforcement and stuff like that. You know, I'm not good enough or that, you know, I'm not good enough for this. I don't deserve this. This is all my fault. X, you know, all these different things that we tell ourselves, it's important of just breaking that cycle. Yeah. And it's so easy to wake up six months down the road and realize for the last three months, you've been neglecting <laughs> your health. You've been eating a bad diet, not mm. taking care of yourself. And probably from a social standpoint, probably not as connected to your friends and your family outside of work. And those are all essential things to help mm. you find balance and happiness, right? And that's and that's really another one of the signs is, you know, if you notice yourself not calling friends on the birthdays or, you know, making excuses like I'm too busy. You know, yeah. that's what I used to do all the time. Yeah. Um, and because that's key is because when you're burnt out, you know, there's a lot of guilt, too, that, sure. that you carry during the burnout because you know that, you know, you could do things a certain way, but you feel trapped and then, but you don't see the trap. So when you don't, yeah. because you don't see that trap, you just keep walking back into it. I heard someone say, it's hard to read the label on the jar when you're inside the jar. <laughs> Have you heard that? Oh, no, no, that's, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's it. And I mean, that's it and more. <laughs> you mentioned guilt. I would think between, if it's not guilt, it's some form of resentment. Think about yeah. how much the combination of those two in varying degrees mm. ruin people's lives. I mean, we all know that person who was a company man or a company woman. They worked mm -hmm. 35 years for Philip Morris or whatever it might be. And they come home and, yeah, they've got this nice 401k balance and a pension and all that. But they're miserable. Mm -hmm. They spent 30, 40 years of their life doing, doing something justified justify primarily by money. Yeah. Right. There might be some status that goes along with being an executive or, you know, a prominent oh, person. Yeah. And, you know, but outside of that, um, they've basically traded away the best years of their lives or the majority of 100 percent for a financial. And then here's the thing. Uh, my dad's an example of this. He came home and retired and did nothing. He was dead in two years. Yeah. And how sad is that? That's I mean, we, um that's surprisingly that's very common. The particularly more been, in men, but generally in men too. Yes. Like yeah. I've been reading that when people reach retirement, it's like they've feel like a lack of purpose. And that gets to burnout too, is I realized the cause of burnout for me was a lack of general purpose on what I was doing in my life. And it's because I didn't have a healthy source to pull from. So I was disconnected from, just like you mentioned, yeah. family and friends that could have pulled me out of that situation. I used the work as an excuse for everything. Like, oh, my health is bad, but it's the work. Yeah. So it's, it, it, it comes down to that game. Yeah. Um, really, it just takes a lot of like reflecting on oneself and like really just asking yourself, you know, um, again, it comes down to, you got to be able to forgive yourself. Yeah. Yeah. They say charity starts at home. I think, yeah. I think everybody has to look in deep inside and try to be honest with yourself mm. and get some objectivity and some insight and say that, you know, most folks that are treat other people bad have negative opinions of themselves. And that could be for a number of reasons. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Um, we were talking briefly about, uh, about the specific, specific symptoms of burnout Mm. let's transition now into how do you pull yourself out of that hole? What are some concrete steps you as someone who's dealt with it quite a bit has taken to climb out of that hole, see some light at the end of the tunnel and hopefully learn from it so that you don't repeat, you know, repeat those same gradual steps down that staircase into, uh, you know, burnout. Absolutely. And, and so, you know, really it comes down to, for me, it was, you know, exploring myself really asking myself, what makes me happy? And going back to basics, you know, first principles type thinking, you know, what makes me happy in life? Mm -hmm. And then going back to the first principle, okay, is it about happiness? And that's when it kind of clicked me. I was like, 
when I really think about my entire life, when I was most on paper, you know, quote unquote successful, that was the most miserable I ever was in my life. Wow. When I was making the most money and I was comfortable from a money standpoint, I had no life. Yeah. Like 60 to, 60 to 80 hours a week and then being on call. Um, essentially at that job, I was on call 24 uh, seven. I was even, I would be on pay time off and they would be, they would call me in on pay time off. That's outrageous. Oh yeah. I remember one time I worked, um, 10 to 12 hours. I was supposed to be on vacation. I would think that a lot of hopelessness and helplessness was involved in. Oh, totally. Yeah. And I, one thing you run into with people who exploit other people is there's never enough. They always Correct. want more. You're like, and you're, you got to stop and you're like, man, I've given this, like you said, I give, I gave this company 12 hours on, on my vacation day. <laughs> what else do they want? It will, it never, it seems to never end. They're never happy. They're never satisfied. And it's one thing if you're being, you know, if, for a season, if you're working some extra hours to help the company. Or if get there's a large project and like something completely out of, you know, yeah. no one could have predicted something like, and I've done this before. Something's happened where someone's had to drop from the project. And then I just say, okay, I don't know their, I can't do their job role as good as them, but I'll take over their work just because no, there's no other way to get the project done. But when you're doing that every single project. All the time. Yeah. And yeah. it's really, you kind of hit on something key. And that's that what I tell people is that to figure out if you're in a state of burnout with your employer, I never advocate for any kind of hostility or anything like that. But what I do advocate is find a small line that you are just not willing to give up. Maybe they want to change your lunch break to a different time period. Something that should not matter at all. Something that should be very minimal mm -hmm. and just Push back on it. Stand up for yourself. Yeah, you'll find out where you'll you find stand out real if you draw quick. that line, right? 100%. Yeah, you mentioned there was an inverse relationship between on the surface where you looked most successful mm. by those standards, but deep inside, you were, you were equally unhappy as you were as successful on the surface. 100%. Yeah. Um, the, um, the idea of money, how many people are justified? justifying work that they're not interested in they're not passionate about they don't love it they actually dread it right kind of the thank god it's friday oh god it's monday crowd yep nine to five living for the weekend types how many how many people do that their whole lives and the money is nice for a little while but just like everything else the law of diminishing returns kicks in at a certain point and when the money doesn't give you that same sense of uh there's I mean, only so much stuff you can buy well, there's that. Yeah, yeah. And then, then, like you said, you had to take a personal inventory. What makes me the happiest? Oh, 100%. You mentioned specifically uh, the inverse relationship between your professional success and your underlying happiness. Can you touch on the opposite of that? So when when you were most happy in your life, what did your life look like? What were things you were doing every day? What passions were you pursuing? What dreams and goals did you have? Can you talk about that? That is a great question. So it really comes back to me going full circle. And that's that I really realized uh, it goes back to relationships and the relationships with all of my clients that I'd had over the years. And, um, and, and again, like if anyone's getting into any kind of relationship, um, not just like management, but any kind of like um, IT consulting or things like that, do you deal with other people? I offer this as advice for everyone. Call up your clients and go to see them do not make it business related. Just spend some time with them. Hmm. Just find something nice you can do for them or something like that. People like that's like that to me is like if I if someone does that for like I always think what would I like someone to do for me and like knowing that someone cares is is very huge right now. Yeah. And there's a lot of loneliness just in general. And so it's just key. Have you heard Zig Ziglar said no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care? No. <laughs> no, that's good though. Yeah, I like that. 
you know, it, it's really refreshing to encounter someone like yourself um, in our space specifically that is a sensitive person and cares about people and doesn't want to just see what they can get out of a connection with someone. They want to invest in that person. Exactly. And you said you've called people that you've worked with over the years just to say hello and reconnect. And there's okay. no there's no professional or business motive there. It's just in your nature and that's who you are. So if we could summarize your answer to my question about when you were the happiness, happiest, what that looked like was deeply connected relationships, not just professional, mm -hmm. but personal friends and family outside of work kind of thing. Um, what are some other things? Were you uh, more active exercise wise or was your diet better? Or I'm sure it had to be more. Oh, yeah. So what other components contributed to your, your happiest point in your life? This actually brings up something great. And that's that, um, you know, one thing with burnout is either, and it seems kind of paradoxical at first and counterintuitive, but either a, a lot of weight gain or a lot of weight loss. Okay, so you cycled. You cycle in, in one direction or another. So yeah. my weight gain, I was up around 350, 360. It was like yeah. a whole other, like I'm half, almost half the weight of that person. Wow. And the reason was is I was not taking care of myself. I wasn't eating proper. And uh, it's just that stuff builds up. And it really goes into like the whole phenomenon of burnout is that it really does come from when you feel a lack of care for yourself and you let that spiral out, then that lack of care will just become a self-fulfilling prophecy. And it'll manifest itself in overeating. In every relationship as well, and your reactions. And really, I think it's, it's you know, it's hard to forgive um, uh, from a standpoint that when you really think about what you're doing, and that's why I think it's so crucial because you got to, first you got to forgive yourself. Like, no one's perfect. Um, we all mess this up. That's the greatest part about life is, you know, taking your mistakes and learning from them. Yeah, I like to tell people that a winner is is someone who um, about 50% of them becoming a winner was their victories, <laughs> but the other 50% was the lessons they learned from their losses. Exactly. And a, lo a loss only turns you into a loser if you don't learn something from that loss. Mm -hmm. I think that's an important distinction. I didn't want to bring this up because we've talked about it, but you brought it up, so I think it's fair game now. Yeah. And I'm glad you did because I think the uh, weight loss and the struggle with weight and diet that you've dealt with mm -hmm. can impact someone's life who's listening. So if you don't mind, can we talk about that for a oh, few absolutely. minutes? Absolutely. So at your peak, you were 350, you said. About 350, 360. Okay. I was um, about to be put on all kinds of medications. Um, about what age were you when you hit that peak? Um, Approximately. Say around 30, like mid-30s. Okay. And I'm assuming this is something you've struggled with for oh, a long time. Weight issues have been a massive part of my life. Um, uh, really, it's, I had an unhealthy relationship to food. Mm -hmm. I, I think most people kind of do to an extent. We just like to try to kid ourselves. But, you know, um, I know everyone's heard about, like, different diets, things like that. The trick that I learned, it does it, whatever diet you do, just is if you stick to something. Right. That's the tricky part. That's the trick. Yeah. Yeah. It's just sticking with it. So at your peak, you were 350 and you're about 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, mm -hmm. Okay. So you're a, you're a big guy anyways. Yeah. Um, but you didn't let that be an excuse. You realized you had a problem and you want to oh, be yeah. on medication for the rest of your life and set yourself up for all the comorbidities of obesity, obesity and diabetes. And exactly. Heart disease, COPD, pulmonary issues, all that stuff goes hand in hand. What was your, um, what was your, um, AA calls it, uh, bottoming out, right? Yeah. Hitting yeah. rock bottom. What was that turning point for you? Can you, can you describe that? That is a great question. So I think there were, there were a few, but it was, um, really just being so unhappy and not understanding. And then 
going to the doctor and then finding, you know, I'm going to be on some horrendous medications with horrendous side effects um, that I was, in fact, pre-diabetic, like almost about to be, you know, moving on that path. In your early 30s, which is Yeah, which is absolutely bad. Cutting Um, decades off your life, right? Oh, yeah, and I had, like, high blood pressure, and I, you know, had all different kinds of issues. And, you know, really what helped me is um, looking at food differently, understanding the, you know, the nourishment aspect, not, like, the way I treated food when I was, you know, super busy, like I was saying, I was so miserable, is, like, food was just, like, I had to get something in so that I could do the work. Gas in the tank. Yeah, it was gas in the tank, and that was it. You weren't looking at it as a garbage in, garbage out type of thing. <laughs> you put something down your throat. What If it's bad, what comes out is bad. If it's good, what turns out is good. Absolutely. And so you had to change intellectually and psychologically oh, your relationship yeah. to and your understanding of food. And really, yeah. you know, like to, to and, and just so everyone knows, to explain what I did, I did a combination of intermittent fasting, which is just a fancy way to say like you could do like 16 hours a day you don't eat and then mm-hmm. the other you do eat right during that period of window, which has document well documented, well documented health benefits. Well, because I mean, it helps your body balance glucose levels. Of, mm-hmm. You know, um, like if people have, uh, I used to suffer from rampant hunger pains, so, so bad to where people could hear my stomach in the office and be like, "You need to go eat something." Like wow. that's how how bad it was. Yeah. The when I got on keto, I haven't had hunger pains since I've been doing a. And essentially, if people want to know. There's all different ways to do keto. I just do a basic, I just call it a whole foods diet. Not not whole foods, the store. It's too expensive. Yeah. But I, I, I don't eat things that I don't know what they are. Yeah. So uh, reading the side of a, a thing, if I don't, if I can't pronounce it and understand what that chemical is, I will not buy it. Wow. Yeah, you're very selective. I offered to bring you some food today before, our, <laughs> before our, our meeting today. And you said, well, as long as it's not processed and it doesn't have bread in it, sure. I was like, well, I'm going to Subway. <laughs> I don't think that's an option. So um, I want to dive more into the details of that because I think we have a really good chance to help someone, yeah. maybe even more than one person, turn their life around and say, wow, that guy was 350 pounds. He's 6'3". What's your weight now? About 170, 180. So you l- literally lost half of a human being. Half a human being, yeah. Yeah. Um, can you talk about... I'm. By the way, congratulations. Oh, thanks. That's an amazing <laughs> accomplishment, seriously. And we'll kind of talk about it in the sense of like recovery from alcohol and all that stuff because it, yeah. it's the same thing. You can plug in alcohol, weed, drugs, Anything, pills, yeah. weight, uh, gambling, addiction, whatever it might be, right? Shopping. Yeah. So how long have you been sober in the sense that you've got a grip on your diet, you redefined your relationship with food, mm. and you're at or near where you're at now? How long have you been sober in that sense? So in that sense, I'd say it's been um, uh, about four or five years. That's incredible. Um, about, um, I'd say, but really, to be fair, it'd be more like you know three to four. But really, the main thing that I would like people to know is you know it's not the length of time necessarily. It's um, what you're doing with that time and how much progress that you're making don't expect that you're going to do one thing and everything is going to magically work the next day be prepared to fail and wait a fact, minute wait a minute we live in mm-hmm. the western world you're telling me i shouldn't expect instant <laughs> gratification yeah i don't like yeah. it i don't want to do it <laughs> go ahead sound just like me yeah um but you know it, and it's sticking to it and and really it's you know don't see things as a restriction as much as possible see them as a challenge like yeah. so i do that with an keto opportunity and that. so like yeah. 
exactly what I do with keto is because like you can't have sugar, like refined sugar, I find natural sweeteners, which are better for you anyway. What and are some I make examples sweets. of those? Give us some examples sure, of natural so sweeteners. There's a sweetener called aloes. It's A-L-L-O-U-S-E. I'm not pronouncing it correctly, but okay. it's from fruit rind. And then there's monk fruit, which is a very famous one. There's a, a is stevia an example? Or? Stevia is sort of, there's some debate on that, okay. but like one's to avoid, though, yeah, it? avoid, yeah. avoid like um, saccharin, uh, avoid Aspartame, which will give you, um, I think, brain tumors in that one. I've heard that, yeah. It's well, and and it's really also there's people that are sensitive to things in that. Phenocolinics, uh-huh. um, uh, or however you pronounce that. But um, really, the so so doing that is like, you know, because my first thought was, oh, I'll never be able to have bread again. I was like, oh, there's ways to make keto bread. It sounds nuts, but it's usually just apple cider vinegar and like um, um, instead of normal flour, it'd be like almond flour or something like that. Yeah, I heard a doctor say recently, whether you have a gluten insensitivity or not, no mm-hmm. one should be eating gluten. That's the way I feel, and uh, I did did make my switch over to gluten-free, and I did notice an immediate change because I had suspected something like Crohn's or um, something with the seed, celiacs. Um, yeah. And I had suspected that was an issue, but again, with this relates to burnout too, is that with burnout, digestion is normally one of the first signs. And this is what I want people to think about is if you visualize work right now, and your stomach just churned, yeah. you're probably burnt out. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, it doesn't take much to figure out those uh, not-so-subtle cues that your body and your mind are sending to you, right? 100%. I mean, if you're yawning all day long and you're sucking down power or uh, you know, power bars and uh, Red Bull <laughs> just to get through your day, you probably need to take a personal inventory, right? Oh, 100%. And see, you know, what are you doing um, diet-wise, exercise-wise, work-life balance is a big one. Oh, 100%. Um, yeah. So you, let's get back to the 350 pounds. So you lost half of, of yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and don't talk about anything you know, you're not comfortable talking about. But is there anything yeah. in your, you know, growing up as a kid or in, did you get bullied in school? Did you, you know, you're taking this inventory of yourself. You're making these life changes. Did mm. you find anything that happened to you uh, that you kind of internalized and then externalized in the form of having an unhealthy relationship with food? Oh, absolutely. Um, a lot of it was, um, you know, my parents did an amazing job and they did everything, you know, they always made sure to put food on, you know, made sure that we were fed. Mm-hmm. But when, you know, in, and you'll notice this in certain families, but food is very much like, um, you know, whoever gets the food first eats the food, right? You know, things yeah. like that. So some things like, like that definitely play a role. And I, I think just most people in general, um, we tend to have an unhealthy relationship with food overall because we've become detached from the source, mm-hmm. like where it was from, like where it was raised and, and where it's from. And whenever that happens, you just, you, it develops into a very unhealthy type of situation. Mm-hmm. So for me personal, I, I definitely think there's some stuff um, for sure. I think, and in, in, in everyone dealing with things will notice something from their, you know, distant past or something that affects that. But for me, it was more not understanding food. I can really. Ignorance. Yeah, it, it was it complete ignorance. A hundred percent. Yeah. And uh, we had Dr. Mike Norman on the show um, several months ago, a couple months ago. And uh, he's a chiropractor, but he also focuses on holistic uh, approaches oh, nice. to health and healing. And he was talking about if you had any idea about what they were putting in most food that we eat every day, mm-hmm. you would throw up. Oh, yeah. He was like all these, uh, and it's, it goes deeper than that. It's not just the processing part of preparing the food and distributing it. It goes down to the what they put in the soil for where the crops are being grown, what they're spraying the crops with. What How they dry for, the wheat. What they're force feeding 
the animals yeah. that are being raised in farming situations. Yeah. Uh, that was a real eye opener for me. Oh, he, yeah. he mentioned specifically we eat a lot of cows, particularly in this country. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, steak, beef, hamburgers, all that kind of stuff. He said that we are force feeding cows to eat something they would not naturally eat. Yeah. And that's basically grass and grain. He's like in the wild, they don't they eat some of that, but they don't eat it exclusively. And so humans don't eat that stuff, you know, if left to their own devices, going mm-hmm. back to like a primitive setting thousands, tens of thousands of years ago. But so we're, if you eat something that's in turn eating something that's bad for you, mm-hmm. you're eating what's bad for you. 100%. And we don't realize that because of, you know, farming is a big part of our culture and our uh, agricultural system and the political system. And there's plenty of lobbyists and lawyers and oh, uh, yeah. corporations with vested interests in keeping it that way. Um, can you talk about, you mentioned you don't eat anything you don't understand. I remember yeah. that struck me when you said that. So you're literally scrutinizing if you're looking at I'm, that. I'm researching. Like, yeah. So like I found a chemical the other day. It was like um, a form of anything. Anytime you see on a label and there's the word pyro, you should be concerned. Okay. Talk that, about that. Obviously it means fire, but yeah. Um, so like pyrogenic effects, like uh, things that can have different effects, but it, essentially to me, it sets off an alert that something is reactive because okay. it's, it's got pyro in it. So it was, just, it was like pear, uh, it was, um, it had, it was an ingredient that had that in it. I go look it up and the FDA said that it is not to be listed in things called all natural. The product was literally labeled keto, all natural for keto. Yeah. And it was like, so it was violating FDA packaging guidelines. Right. Obviously I'm not gonna be able to call into where I got that from and try to explain that to yeah. like, like someone, but it was, it was things like that were eye opening because I had gone so long with like, Oh, well the manufacturers can't get away with doing that kind of stuff. And then really looking into it, it was, it's, you know, it's not saying like you need to be skeptical. Like you can't eat like, like family cooking or like family cooked meals is like, you've got to like be able to like be a, a little bit lenient on things like you that. Be realistic. You, you, you got to be, be realistic. Yeah. Because otherwise you're not going to eat. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, what was it? The, the FDA. I mean, even those guys were bought and paid for mm-hmm. by the farming lobby and big pharmaceutical and uh, big tobacco and all those guys. Oh, yeah. Right. I mean, how in the world is it illegal to smoke a joint and eat some Cheetos and go to sleep? <laughs> but it's fully legal to get drunk off your behind. Right. Yeah. And, you know, uh, do God knows what, get behind the wheel of a car, you know, hurt yourself, hurt someone else. And It, it really shows you that there's things that are sanctioned and things that are not. And it's, it's always the immediate thing to me is, you know, uh, you know, going through recovery and going through that process. And like most people that come out on the other end, you really, it's kind of like with burnout when you see it, like your immediate thing is you, you feel you're like, I can't believe I did all this and all that. But when you really look at it and understand it for what it is, you can kind of understand it more and, you know, really reflect on, you know, how you got there for sure. Yeah. And cigarettes. How in the world are cigarettes still legal? And the fact that doctors used to like advertise them for health they and smoke the them with, they lucky would, strikes, freedom torches. They'd yeah. smoke them while performing operations and stuff. Yeah. I mean, it was just unbelievable. Um, well, because I think we're one of the, the few countries, Western countries, or I think only country that allows direct-to-consumer marketing of still. pharmaceuticals. Oh, far, you're right. You're right. Yeah. All, it, that's been outlawed. I, I have friends from like like you know different places. They come here, and they're they go nuts when they see that on TV, when they see like side effects include death. It's like, if your yeah. product suicide. includes death as a side effect or yeah. the, the antidepressants side effect is suicide. Yeah. How is that an antidepressant? If you have suicidal thoughts, <laughs> please stop taking this. The one that kills me. And I'm a bit of a sarcastic person. Was is, it the dry one that caused dry eye? No, it's, it's far, <laughs> far more depraved than that. Oh, wow. Are you ready? You'll know it as soon as you hear it. Okay. Okay. Do not take such and such drug. If you are allergic to it, do we really have to be told 
not to take a substance that we're allergic to. Are, does everybody have to wear training wheels on their bike and a helmet until they're, until they're 35 years old? I mean, at a certain point, and I'm not trying to sound callous here, but doesn't natural selection and personal responsibility have to play in here? Do I really have to be reminded not to take something that I'm allergic to? You you really wonder. And then when you really look at just like, um, you know, big pharma in general, and you just look at things like that, it's just, uh, it's, you know, I feel that, Going natural, um, you know, that to me is always going to be like if someone offers me like, oh, you can take a Tylenol or you can take curcumin, which is just from turmeric, I believe. Yeah, um, a natural. It's a natural. Source, yeah. It's um, it's in curries and non-processed like, uh, and in fact, nutritional. Yeah, yeah, and you take that and like I take that for headaches, like maybe a little bit of pine bark, which is a natural. Um, uh, it, th- it's a natural blood thinner. So obviously if you're on blood thinners, you can't take something like that, but, right. um, things like that. I do not take Tylenol. I do not take a acetaminophen because that stuff's very, um, liver toxic. I would think so. Yeah. I mean, as soon as something synthetic like that hits your system, your system says, it wait freaks a out. Yeah, yeah. It's like, wait a minute, this is an outside source and it's not naturally generated. Let's start, mm-hmm. let's start working the kidneys and the liver and overtime to get this out. Right. I mean, exactly. that, that, that's their job, right? Yeah, um, I want to I uh, segue to, to the idea of transformation. Mm. Um, throughout my life, I've done and said and thought many things that, in retrospect, I'm ashamed of or embarrassed of. I've, uh, you know, burned some bridges in my life. I've made a lot of mistakes. Um, I've done some things that I regret, and I, I hope that I've learned from. Mm. And the idea of transformation is very uh, significant to me. Um you know, thank God for second chances. Thank God we live in a country and a culture where people can be redeemed. Oh, hundred percent. You can make a, you can make a mistake, you can pay your price and then you can move on and, um, you know, and progress down the road, learn from your mistakes and hopefully be successful. Uh, I find myself constantly trying to transform myself, whether it be Mm. to work out more, to eat better, to be a better husband, to be a better father, to be a better business owner, to be a better human being in general. Um, I don't want to get political here. Um, but when it comes to respecting human rights, this recent leak of the Supreme Court draft opinion of the uh, mm. a, a majority opinion saying they should overturn Roe versus Wade, we're not going to get into the political aspects of all that. I, I, w- I will say that um, as a human being who values human de- human decency, human dignity, the potential mm. in everyone, yeah. uh, fundamental human rights, which should be the free uh, free speech. Uh, freedom of expression, fr- freedom, freedom of association, freedom of association, freedom to practice the religion mm-hmm. that you would like to practice or no religion, uh, freedom to participate in the governing class, which makes decisions that impact us all every day. Yeah. Whether you want to be a politician yourself or support some campaign for a politician who's going to represent you, um, this Supreme Court decision uh, is very troubling to me, um, only for one reason, and uh, I think that we've come a long way. Um, in this country from the founding fathers original vision of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, um, having government play a, as minimal role in, in everyday people like you and me's lives as necessary. Mm-hmm. Let us feel free to innovate and care for our families, to educate our children the, the way we want them educated, to participate in our communities and govern yeah. ourselves and only really step in with, when we need help, right? Like, yeah. I'm glad we have the military to protect us. I'm glad we have the fire department in case my house catches on fire. Yeah. I'm glad for those construction crews paving the road and filling those potholes, and I don't mind paying taxes for all. I'm fine with all that. 
Um, but, you know, when it comes to transformation, you have to be, to a certain extent, in an environment that rewards transformation and oh, makes yeah. it possible. Um, and, I, and I just feel like it's kind of shameful that some of these rights that we've fought for mm. um, for so many, you know, a couple centuries now um, are can be taken away by some arbitrary legal ruling. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, with that, we're not getting political and we're not going to take sides on that. I, I just wanted to mention that. Can you talk about the idea of transformation? Because you did it. I, I can't think of a more extreme example. Oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I mean, I'm very impressed with what you accomplished. I, it says a lot about your ability to reflect on yourself and to have insight and most importantly, to put in the work and sustain it. I mean, that's... That's the hard part. I mean, you got to be in the top 1% of people who try something like this and actually sustain it more than, what, six or nine months? And you're four or five years into it. Well, and that's the thing is, you know, for people to understand, this is not this is not my first attempt at a diet. I've been trying to diet since I was a kid. I had always had issues with being overweight. Um, and again, like you, you hit on something earlier, um, I was bullied, but then I I had my growth spurt, and then it kind of it could have gone the other direction. I didn't like thankfully, but yeah, you, like they couldn't really bully me. I, I could just reach over and look just down, smack at them. them down. Yeah, yeah, I'd just be like, "What are you saying?" Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But, um, you know, and so really, you know, it's so like there's the, you know, someone will say we'll never give up. And I agree with that. But also, like, give yourself a break sometimes. You know, when you mess up one thing, don't let that ruin your day. Yeah. Because that is so tempting. And, and it's still it's something I struggle with to this day. Yeah. Is that one thing that I didn't do right. And then letting that cascade over me. And I really think it comes down to once you become more self-aware and once you become less self-involved. And more selfless. Yeah. It really becomes like more clear, you know, who we really are. And that's, you know, we're all, you know, we are, we're all one. We're all, um, we're all in this together. Exactly. My actions impact yours. hundred percent. And we should all be invested in each other. Yeah. Well, and and think about like, what world do do we want to leave for our kids or, you know, our nieces and nephews, you know, that, Mm. that's what really kind of woke me up on my journey was, Thinking about my nephews, the world that they're going to have. Thinking yeah. about my nieces, the world that they're going to have. And that really sobered me up, like, on so many levels. Like, I immediately, I was like, okay, I'm calling my own BS on all this stuff. I'm handling it today. And then, of course, like me, I'm like, you know, well, I'm going to get all this self-work done the first week. <laughs> and then, yeah. You know, letting one thing trip you up. It's it's important, you know, hope is key. Um, but also, you know, don't haunt yourself. And I think this is key because I haunted myself for years. And what I'm getting at is that you're going to be your biggest critic out of anyone that could ever criticize you ever because mm. you, you know how to pull, you know, push your own buttons better than anyone else can. Yeah. And, you know, people don't realize it, but you can gaslight yourself. And oh, I yeah. gaslit myself for years. The worst, I, I, yeah, the worst lies are the ones we tell ourselves. A hundred percent. You know, telling myself I was happy, telling myself this is worth the money to do and not have a life. That mm-hmm. I'm not going to have a life now for my 30s, but in my 40s, I'll be able to be an executive or retire or something. Yeah. And then really realizing, you know, that's part of the burnout process is when the cynicism, and it's another key that I, I, I should have talked earlier, is cynicism. And I'm not talking like people, some people are just generally, you know, cynical, cynical and that's yeah. fine. Yeah. But when it borders nihilism. When you hit that border is when you really need to step back. And don't think that all this is going to get resolved in one day. And really it's just, you know, show yourself some love. Yeah. You, you really got to, self-care involves, you know, really finding some love for yourself. It's, it's really hard to do and balance the line between narcissism for some people too. You mentioned managing failure. Uh, I think I heard someone say mm-hmm. failure is not final and success is not inevitable. 
<laughs> so. so my favorite in project management was, and I management used to hate when I say this, but it was failure is always an option. Yeah. <laughs> that would be how I'd start most meetings because what I was getting at is that, you know, most project managers don't plan for failure. Yeah. And and, and it's not like I, plug, I plan for projects to fail. What I'm getting at is that they do blue sky on everything. Yeah. And when they blue sky everything, when nothing even gets close to the sky, they freak out. Right. So I, instead of blue sky and everything, saying, you know, blue sky just being this is the dream of what it's going to look like. Yeah. I did, I don't know what you would call it, but it was, um, you know. Um, get your head in the clouds, but your feet are still on the ground. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and it was more like I would go through, not necessarily like worst case, but I would always look at, you know, this could fail, but we've got a plan if this happens. Yeah. And then that means that our team is more confident. So the chance of it failing is a lot less likely. Yeah, that's great. I wanted to segue um, to our um, the nonprofit that we started. It's called See Good to Be Good. Yeah. Um, right now, we're asking for folks who want to get involved in that to support our mission. Uh, they can certainly donate. Uh, if they choose to donate, it's seegoodtobegood.org. That's S-E-E, good, to be, B-E, good, dot org. Uh, we'll certainly take your donations. If you do decide to donate, I want everyone to know that every single dollar that's donated uh, uh, will be given in the form of a scholarship that's needs-based for someone trying to go to college. Even that's awesome. The, thank you. Even the expenses of running See Good to Be Good are all paid out of pocket by myself uh, and the other people involved in it. So if you donate $100, $100 is going to uh, a needs-based scholarship to help That's someone awesome. to go to school. Yeah, and so I, I just wanted to bring that up. But just as much as we would like money, we'd, all, we'd more like um, people who want to get involved and support the mission by donating their time, their efforts, their resources. Um, so really if cool. this, yeah, if this connects with you, please reach out to us and interact with us. We'd be happy to take as little or as much as you want to contribute um, in whatever form um, you'd like to contribute that to that. And part of that mission is to find out examples of people like yourself who've dealt with some adversity, have gotten mm -hmm. over it, have found a way to be happy and successful. And so, and I want people who are kind of lost in life, might be looking for an example of, yeah. you know, someone doing it the right way or some guidance or some mentorship. And so in that vein, I'd like to ask you a couple of questions. Okay. Sure. Number one, why are you successful? Success is funny because what do you define as success? Like to some, it'd be money. To me, success was an expense account, being able to uh, get certain hotel rooms whenever I wanted, being able to, you know. Frequent flyer miles. Frequent, and, well, yeah. and, well, and that was the, the dirty secret is that I never got those honored because I was traveling for business. So yeah. obviously I'm flying on a business card, so yeah. I never got those. What airport lounge club? What, what airport <laughs> lounge club? You've got the 18 medallion miles that I'm not even sure the requirements, but I think you have yeah. to circle the globe twice, once counterclockwise. And yeah, on, the one direction. Foot, yeah. On, on one flight, though. Yeah, it's got to yeah. be a nonstop. Of course. Globe-reversing flight. Yeah, within a certain window, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So insofar as you've been successful and, and, and so far as you define success, how, why are you successful? Success. Uh, so my redefinition of success is, and it, it leads back to what you're saying, is that how many people have I helped? Mm. And really getting the internalization of your past failures, your past self, all of that, and getting to your authentic self, getting to your, what I would call like Buddha nature, kind of sort of like Christ mind. It's, mm -hmm. a, it's your natural state. And really seeing that, and it's very hard, it was hard for me to understand what that was because you're, 
it's a construct we're not used to. We're not taught, you know, look inward. We're not taught, you know, to reflect and meditate. We're not yeah. taught. We're taught to look good on the surface. We're, we're, we're taught to, like, keep everything under the cover and then yeah. let it blow up, but only let it blow up on certain people. And it's like there's all these rules, and we never really, like, take the time to care for ourselves. Drive that luxury car, live in that certain exclusive community. And that'll get you by for, you know, one day, maybe a week, maybe yeah. a weekend. But it can't sustain you. It can't sustain you. Alone. Uh, there's well, people who have that that are happy, but it's not because of that alone. Exactly. Well, yeah. and if you notice, and, and this is, you know, um, I, I, I don't like to be judgmental of anyone, but this is just something I've noticed, and I'm sure anyone that's consulted for all levels have seen this, and that's that you'll notice certain clients that are very wealthy, and it's nothing against them being wealthy or anything like that. But what it is is you notice that there's a certain sector that the more wealthy they are, there's a correlation with, you know, how miserable mm. they just are about everything. Yeah, and you know because they've chased that exclusively. Exactly, and well, and yeah. they've internalized a lot of things, so they will project everything else. And then you just like there's some clients that I, I just wouldn't, you know, you see that, and it's like, what do you say? Yeah, you know, <laughs> they, they won't hear you if you say it anyway. Oh no, and yeah. and you know, those are the kind of people you give them guidance and say, you know, I would recommend against not doing this for X, Y, and Z, and then they do it, and then they literally have the same problems you told them. And again, that's the the thing about relationships too is that, you know. Look, you know, don't try to like seek out toxic relationships, but know the warning signs. Like yeah. never extend yourself more than meeting someone halfway. Like I'm not saying that you can't balance a little bit more, but really it's, you know, you shouldn't be exhausted. You shouldn't, you've got to leave enough for yourself mm -hmm. because if you only do things for it, it's a fine balance to walk because sure. really a lot of it for me came down to, and, you know, speaking back to transformation is really thinking, okay, when I was feeling my worst, I was like, what did I do today to help another person? Did I make someone smile today? I like, that. was there a cashier that looked super stressed that uh, I, I would like, you'll just notice this the more you hang around me, but service industry, because I used to work service industry. I started out in service industry. Yeah, but you have a heart for those folks because you know what they're going through. M more so that and more yeah. so because one of my biggest pet peeves and, and just general turnoffs is if someone is rude to wait, you know, if someone like a server. Or, it's or, a privilege to have someone prepare food and oh, serve yeah. it to you. Not, yeah. not, not, it's not an entitlement. That's yeah. a privilege. Yeah. Yeah, to have that. That's great. I love that answer. Why are you happy? So that has been something that is probably going to take me the rest of my life to find an answer to. But I will say that my levels of happiness have increased because of letting go of a lot of fear. And a lot of that fear was put into me just from our society. And we're never really, you know, we're told we're unique, but we're never told why. And I think that the why you've got to answer for yourself. And the unique aspect is, you know, what part of being unique is critical to you. And for me, I think, you know, finding and stepping into your, yourself, really finding out who you are is a very complex process. The self-work is going to be brutal yeah. if you're doing it right. But the self-discovery, the why. The, the it makes up for it like hand over fist. And when you have those aha moments and then really like, you know, it's, it's going to be, I'm not going to like, you know, lie to anyone and play it down. Doing the self-work is the one of the hardest things to do. It's why people don't do it. Yeah. Why well, you see it in AA all the time, you know, the people that project and lash out are normally the ones that are in the meeting still using, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, you mentioned the why the why arguably is a lifetime of self-discovery yeah. and it evolves, right? Oh, so yeah. you don't just figure it out. Tuesday of next week, and then it's smooth sailing. There's a there's a great quote, and that's that um, you will not be aware of your own enlightenment. Okay, yeah, <laughs> and you shouldn't be, right? Yeah, you should you, be you constantly be. pursuing enlightenment. Because if the second you say you're enlightened, you're not. And that's what I tell people. They'll say, uh, you know, are you a kind person? You know what I say to them? 
I'd say, first of all, it's very important for me to get up every single day and find one way, at least one way to be a better person, to be more kind, generous, and compassionate. Yes. But my second answer to that is, it's not for me to say. Mm. Ask the people who interact with me. I would hope that they would say that. It's for me to do, not for me to say, and for me to pursue and not to claim, right? Yeah. So yeah. we're in the same we're in the same oh, 100%. space there. And and that's my mindset too. And you know, you really hit on something key, and that's that start with small steps. Like you don't need to fix the world today. Mm-hmm. Like that was one of the hardest things for me to get through my head was I was always like, I gotta have everything sorted or I can't do anything. Yeah. And a small step like that is like and I ask myself this all the time, it's you know, what could I have done better today? Not judging myself, not getting you know, yeah, completely emerged Health, in it. healthy, constructive criticism and reflection. Exactly. Yeah. And, and using that to gauge yourself and, you know, say, oh, I can do a little work here, but it doesn't need to bother me for the rest of the night. Yeah. Now that you're successful, successful and happy to the extent that you are, what obligation do you feel to help other people as you pursue that path? Specifically that. Um, I feel that I've, and, and this is really, you know, it's, it's key that I say this and it's important to acknowledge for me, like to thank everyone who has gotten me to where I am, all the amazing people that mentored me, even the people that didn't treat me well. I learned just as much from them as someone who actually did in many aspects because I knew what to watch for. Yeah. And really, when you look at life and you look at the relationships that survive and that you stick, that, you know, stay with you, those are so beautiful. And like having people for my life that I know that, you know, if they ever need anything, they could call me any day of the week. Like I would go wherever they are, do it just because we have been in situations to where that person had my back and I had theirs Mm -hmm. and we didn't have to discuss it or debate it. We just, we're decent people. We figured that's how everyone else operated. Isn't that a great (laughs) place to be, to have that, to know, to know that you've invested in someone else and they've invested in you. And if the crap hit the fan one day, you'd go take it for them and Mm -hmm. they'd take it for you. That's a great answer. I like that. Um, I would like to uh, reiterate that Justin Ziegert is the newest IT consultant here at Reliable yeah. Tech Help. Uh, Reliable Tech Help does sponsor the Respect the Math podcast. Um, for all your IT needs, please visit ReliableTechHelp.com. That's spelled Reliable Tech, T-E-K, Help.com. Or you can call us at 502-797-7399. In keeping with that theme, you brought a few tips that people can do to instantly improve their security online and protect their information and their identity. You want to talk about those briefly? Absolutely. So, and not to get super overtly technical, just to go over, you know, you may have heard some of these buzzwords, but these are just some things that you can do today that are just very, you're going to, for the amount of effort you'll put in this, you're going to get back a lot more. Cool. And that's looking into, you know, if you've ever um, signed up for like a bank account or anything, and um, you've heard of multi-factor, also known as Mm two-factor, where you have that one-time use like, string of numbers and you put that in turning that on and you know using something i would recommend possibly um there's a great one called authy um is is good um but using something like that and doing enabling that it essentially means if someone took your account password they wouldn't be able to log in without that code so that step right there it it adds a second layer and um you know adding that reduces it's called your uh, attack surface but it's just how vulnerable you are um it it immediately will you know it'll reduce that and it's a it's normally very simple for 
um, most services, and most services are actually now enforcing this. Right. Um, so tip one is turn on ter- two-factor authentication correct. for all your accounts. And then the other part of that is to, you know, if you've got all your stuff in a spreadsheet, all your passwords, is to start using a password manager and just have something secure, something secure, encrypted, password protected itself. Precisely. Something like a Bitwarden, um, you know, LastPass, although I'm a little on the fence with them. Bitwarden's, um, for anyone who doesn't know, it's, you know, open source. I won't go into what that means, but it just, it's inspected by lots of people. It's not, um, you know, made by a certain group to sell, although they do have a paid version, but... Mm -hmm. Um, but the password manager it gets to, it's easier to remember one, one password that's super strong versus sure. all of your passwords. And, and that's the advantage there. But the main one that, you know, I really think people should really think about is um, there's a lot of fraud going on right now. And really since, you know, everything went down with the pandemic, I had noticed a spike in fraud. Um, and a lot of this that I'd seen could be prevented with one simple thing. And that's if you haven't looked into freezing your actual credit. So freezing your credit because you you shouldn't have your credit open to have someone immediately be able to pull it at any time. There's just not a need. Open an account in your name. Open an account in your name. And, and also change your title on your house. Do God knows correct. what, right? Yeah. And also opt out of preauthorized credit card mailers. There's a, a form and a process you can do. And yeah. if and, and I'll say I've got a guide on doing it. So maybe we can just like yeah d- just like grab a few things. But yeah, those are the main ones because the main attacks that you'll see is people will. You know, go into mailboxes, they'll, they'll get the offers for the credit card and then start working through that person's ID. But just so, again, freezing your, you know, freeze your TransUnion, your um, experience, whatever it is. Experience. Yeah, because you don't need to be able to pull that at any time. And also, you, and know, you can also temporarily unfreeze it too if you need to apply for an account or Precisely. something. Precisely. Yeah. yeah. And that was the, the key moment that kind of hit me is, you know, um, when I realized that, you know, I don't need this open all the time. It's kind of like leaving your front door open yeah. all the time. It's like having a door with a lock on it and never locking the door. Exactly. Yeah, great. Any other tips or is that? Well, so that would be from the technical side. I would say, you know, really some advice that I would really like to give for people is, you know, um, just some sort of mantras that I have. And that's that, you know, uh, the person that looks for goodness in others will find it. Mm. Just like the person that looks for the bad in others will find it too. Yeah. It's about perspective, kind of like glass half full. Yeah. If you heard of, the Henry Ford quote, whether you no. think you can or you think you cannot, you are always right. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, and, um, you know, the other thing is, you know, when we come into times of all kinds of turbulence and like all kinds of um, just absolute chaos, you know, really think about this, you know, looking for the lesson hidden side of what you're facing. Mm. Like, inside of the actual difficulty. So yeah. looking for the lesson there, because that was one that really took me a lot, a lot to learn is that, you know, maybe I'm being challenged with this one thing to be better at something later on. And then really, you know, uh, another one that's great is, you know, don't let others define your self-worth. Mm. I just think in period, either monetarily or on a relationship level anyway. Define that clearly from yourself and take ownership of that, because if you Precisely. don't, someone will define it someone for you. Someone will define it for you, and you will be way under you will not like what they their definition. Oh, you, you will you will not like it at all. And you know, really, and and this is what, what been one, like one of the hardest ones for me is you know, don't internalize failure. Learn mm. from it. Yeah. So failure is a part of life, and if you're always worried about failing, then you're going to fail even more because you haven't learned and taken the time. And so, you can't grow without failure. It oh, just 100%. doesn't work that way. You, you I've can't. learned more from my mistakes than my successes. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> great. Thanks, Justin. Um, I like to close our show with an inspiring quote. And uh, those who know me know I'm pretty into physics and math and that kind of thing. Uh, Isaac Newton, 
arguably the father of modern science, arguably the greatest physicist and one of the greatest mathematicians of all time, when he was asked about uh, his image later in his career before he died, he said, I do not know what I may appear to the world, but to myself I seem to have been only like a boy playing on the seashore and diverting myself now and then finding a smoother pebble or a prettier shell than ordinary, while the great ocean of truth lay all undiscovered before me. I like that. If you can't, if you can't reflect on yourself and see what areas you're lacking in, life's going to be a rough ride. Mm. And this guy is arguably the greatest scientist slash physicist of all time. And after he gave us gravity and calculus and the laws of motion, I mean, everything we needed to land a man on the moon and set up the great minds like Albert Einstein and the quantum uh, physics guys like Niels Bohr and Heisenberg. I was actually going to, there's a Niels Bohr quote, and that's, um, you know, when talking about quantum, he said, you know, mathematics are not enough. You need to use poetry. Okay, I like that. It, it, it's a great quote because, yeah. like, what he's saying is like it's there's, so there's true. an art. There's an art to it. Oh, 100 percent. Because yeah. when you get in the quantum level, you're dealing with what should be paradox in yeah. some some circumstances. But I, that'll be something for a whole other episode. Yeah, we'll have to, <laughs> we'll have, to have another episode for sure. Um, I just want to comment on that Newton quote real quick before we close things up here. If that guy, a giant and one, mm-hmm. one of the greatest intellects in the history of humanity, says. Yeah, I'm looking back on my life and I looked at this or that seashell or this or that pebble to find a nicer one. And the whole ocean of truth lie before me undiscovered. If he can do that, then (laughs) certainly I can humble myself and try to be, you know, be happy for the things I've accomplished and give myself credit for that. But keep in mind, the prize is still out there. And uh, it would take a lifetime, if not more, to even make a small dent in understanding and experiencing all that's out there. Well, and you really hit on something key, and that's that, you know, a big change in my, you know, life journey, kind of the arc on everything was I started becoming grateful and thankful. Huge. And that was a massive thing for me because I was, you know, things were, you know, when things were really bad, um, you know, and just with that mindset, I was actually, instead of letting it affect me, I said, you know, I'm thankful that I get to learn whatever lesson I'm going to learn from this. Thankful that you're even aware of it. Thankful, exactly. How many people have all these bad things happening to them and they're not even aware of it? Because they're too distracted on, you know, putting if, food on the table. If you want instant gratification, do two things. Force yourself to smile and try to find one thing every day, a unique thing every day to be happy for, to be yeah. grateful for. I oh, guarantee you, you'll get instant feedback on that. What a great way to end the show. I'd like to thank our guest, Justin Ziegert, newest member of the Reliable Tech Help team. If you have questions about IT or any of the um, tips he gave us on security, uh, please reach out to us and interact with Justin. You'll quickly understand after talking to him for a few minutes that he cares about people and he doesn't view you as a one-off transaction. He wants to invest in you and help you exactly. uh, and, and also be doing business with you 10 years down the road oh, yeah. um, because you have a relationship built on mutual trust and respect. Thanks for being here. Um, if you would like to be a guest on our show or you would like help creating and or distributing your own podcast content, please contact us for more information. I'd like to thank our listeners and our sponsors for making this podcast possible and hopefully successful. And we will see you real soon in a future episode of the Respect the Math podcast. Thanks, Justin. Awesome. Thank you.